We're going to be looking at Exodus 6 from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, as well as the first 13 verses of chapter 7. You can bring your coffee or tea back with you. It's totally kosher to do that here. We're fine with that. I have my coffee up here. It's to keep me awake while I preach. Exodus chapter 6. As I said, we'll read all of, or we'll, we'll, we'll look at all of chapter, the rest of chapter 6 from verse 14 down and the first 13 verses of chapter 7 this morning. I just want to start by reading to you verses 28 through 30, and then we'll pray and we'll get into it together. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. And on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt and said, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Father, we thank you that you are able to make yourself known. Lord, you are able to speak to us. Many of us here can testify how you've spoken to us, whether through a sermon or a family member or a stranger on the street or something we read, your spirit spoke to us and showed us who you are. And Father, I pray that if it is your will today, if it's your timing today to speak to someone here for the first time, you would do it. You would speak powerfully. Lord, that you would make yourself known. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that know you already, may we draw near to you. Lord, you say if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So help us to do this, Lord, we pray. Thank you that you're the God that redeems us, that you love us and that you want us for yourself. We thank you, Lord, that we can look forward in the New Testament and know that you sent Christ to pay for our redemption. And we pray, Lord, we'd see that foreshadowed in the things that we see today in your word. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone who agrees says? Amen. Oh, that was a good hearty amen. I like that. That's good. That's good. So we're in a section in Exodus where we come up to these sections that most of us like to ignore, genealogies. What feels like a random group of names, names that, as you'll see soon, I cannot pronounce. And, and, and you think, why is this here? And it's interesting because as we read this, we do get a sense that this is indeed a side note. It's kind of like if you're reading a book and it has a little sort of number next to a word that you know that it's going to have an end note after that, or there's going to be something you can turn to the back of the book and find out even more information. It's one of those things. It's a side note, but it's a very important side note. Because as we're going to see in the, in the weeks following, we're going to get into these ten plagues. And this is to prepare the readers for the ten plagues. You, you get a sense that what God's wanting to do is he, he's wanting to encourage people. He's wanting to encourage those who would read this to say, listen, 
God did indeed send Moses and Aaron. God is indeed working here. And you need to know God's time in this. Remember the people that would have read this first would have been that second generation of Israelites. The first generation that was, came out of Egypt would have died off. This would have been their children born in the wilderness. And they would have not seen the miracles. They would wonder if, if, if Moses and even Joshua, his, his, the one that would take his place, they would even wonder, are, are these guys really of God? Are, are we really following God? Because we've been in this desert for so long. And it's meant to encourage them as reading this, as hearing the story retold, that no, this is indeed the people that God have chosen. This is indeed God's timing for redemption. So we're going to look at three basic things in this. We're going to look at credentials from the past, we're going to look at confidence for the present, and we're going to look at a pattern for the future. So let's start in verse 14 of chapter 6. It says this, these are the heads of the father's houses. Now we're going to see it, the beginning of a genealogy of the people of Israel. The sons of Reuben, Reuben the firstborn, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, verse 15, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of the Canaanite women. These are the clans of Simeon. Now, it's interesting because we, we don't want to miss this because we're going to see in just a minute. He goes in order, birth order. Moses writes down Reuben and then Simeon and then we'll see then Levi. But he stops at Levi. When he stops at Levi, we'll see because he wants to focus on Levi because that's the tribe that Moses and Aaron come from. But we don't want to miss out on the fact that, that what's happening here is he's starting in birth order to show that these guys are from one tribe of many, like all of us. We're each from one tribe of many. That God cons is, is, is always been interested in using a variety of people. This is important, especially as we're looking at God preparing them for the exodus. But also it's, it's important that, that the readers would know that God didn't bypass his people and start fresh with Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron are part of God's people. God's choosing from within his people. And it's also important to see that these are just people, Moses and Aaron are just people within God's people so that they're not so much extraordinary men as they have an extraordinary calling. That God wants his readers, the readers want, Moses wants the readers to see that their credentials are the fact that they are part of God's people. That's their first identity. This is a little bit tricky for us because we tend to, to, to treat identity as something that we choose. That's never been the way it's been in all of history. All of history and all cultures have, have identified themselves by the people they come from, the people that they're within. And so this is, this is part of their credentials. But what happens next? Look at verse 16. He gets into the names of Levi. These are the names of the sons of Levi. According to the generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of life of Levi being 137. Keep that in mind. The sons of Gershom, Libni, and Shimei, Shimei, by their clans. The son of Kohath, Amram, notice that one, Israel, Hebron, and Uziel. The years of life of Kohath being, notice, 133 years. The sons of Merai, Mali, and Mushi, good names for any people expecting babies. Um, 
These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. And then notice this, verse 20. And Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister. I want you to keep that in mind as well. And she bore him Aaron, Aaron, and Moses in the years of Amram being 137 years. And then he goes on to name more sons and more uh, uh, descendants of Moses and Aaron, Aaron especially, which will be more important later on. But I want to stop here for this reason. I want you to notice a couple things. One, that Moses is particularly wanting to point out four generations. It goes from Levi to Koath, Koath to Amram, Amram to Aaron and Moses. Four generations. Don't forget this. And what he does here differently than he did with the first two Simeon and the first two men, main sons of Israel, Simeon and Reuben, is he gives them how they had long lives. He points that out as well. Now, what's he doing here? Here's what he's doing. He's fulfilling, he's showing how Moses and Aaron are fulfilling what God has predicted or promised he would do. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 15 says this. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. This is a prediction of Israel going into Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Then they shall come, come back here uh, in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, so what God says to Abram, way back even before his name was changed to Abram, way back in Genesis, Moses wants to see this is what's happening now, where they are about to go with the plagues coming. This is connected to that. This is God's timing. That God knows exactly what he's doing. That Moses and Aaron are a confirmation of God's timing. So it's not just random names. It's, it's to prove the fact that God is doing something. He's given their credentials from the past. And this is what God does throughout the scripture. God gives us specific details ahead of time so that we recognize his work. Now we can get into trouble when we see uh, details in scripture and then try to fix them to something that's happening right now. That can get us into trouble. We're, we're, we're making connections that may or may not be there. But there's dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of times where God will give us details so that we recognize his work from generation to generation to generation to see that God is indeed still at work and his timing and his plan is best. And then we read what we read earlier in verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt to their hosts. It was... It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel uh, from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. Notice how the name switched. He says Aaron and Moses during the genealogy, which makes sense because Aaron was born before Moses. Then he says Aaron and Moses, which is important because he's wanting to, to, to show that Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, which again will be important, important later on, is all part of God's plan. But then he says now this Moses and Aaron that Moses will eventually become the one that is the chief focus. This is important because he's trying to show that Aaron and Moses are called to be God's instruments. Now maybe the first readers of this were thinking to themselves, were Aaron and Moses even Hebrews? And, and, and if they're, they were Hebrews, are they, really, are they really for us? 
And they're wondering about their allegiance. They're wondering about their heritage. Moses is putting this aside in here, this, this side note to say, look, no, no, we are. I'm wanting to give you our credentials from our past. See, this is what God does with us in general. God uses us, he uses our past to give us credibility with people that we're trying to reach. Did you know that? This is why you shouldn't be ashamed of your story. Hey, I guarantee you there's plenty of things that you've done that you should be ashamed of. But you don't need to be ashamed of your story. Because your story, if you're a Jesus follower, your story, if you've come to know Jesus in, as your Lord and Savior, your story is now his story. And his story emphasizes his grace. His story is about how he shows himself strong. And just like he does, he's going to do with Moses and Aaron, so he does with us. See, God gives us uh, credibility so people can learn to trust him. The story that our lives tell is not, look at how great we've done and straighten ourselves up. That is not the gospel. That is not the story that God calls us to, to, to tell. The story that God gives us is we were lost, we were in slavery, we were in rebellion, and God got our attention, and God brought us to himself, and God redeemed us, and God is changing us. And if you know what we're like before, and you see what we are now, just wait till we'll be when we see him in glory. There's a woman who, who comes to servants on and off that, uh, that Sarah and I know through Sarah's business. And um, she, she said to a, another woman who was going to, that she worked with, who was going to servants church, she said, you know, I, 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 you know these are such a lovely family. I just, there's such a, I just really, I just love the way they, they treat each other and they love the way they are with our children. And they're such a lovely family. And, you know, I, I can see how being Christian is a good thing. And this woman who was our mutual friend started telling this woman who, who I'm referring to about my background, about where I came from. And the woman that I'm referring to was shocked. What? He was like that? He was what? And she was blown away by how bad I had been because she only knew us as we are now. And that past gave credibility to what God's doing in the present and what God promises for the future. Do you see how this works? This is, in a sense, what God's doing through these genealogies. By, by, by doing this, by Moses writing this down, there's a credentials that are being built up for, from the past. Listen, this is what the scripture says about us. It's not very flattering, but it is really hopeful. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For consider your calling, brothers, that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, all that means is basically you're more like Homer Simpson, you want to admit. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing, to bring, uh, nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God loves to bring credentials from our past. Not how great we've been, but how broken we were until God got us. How limited we are until God begins to change our lives. This is what he's doing here. Now, look at verse 28 of chapter 6. This is also about giving Moses confidence for what's about to happen. Confidence in the present. 
Notice verse 28 says, On the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, the tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses says to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Now, we read this, didn't we, last time? And this is one of the reasons we know this is uh, a side note, because in other words, it's kind of like Moses said, here's the genealogy, it's kind of a side note. And, and these two, this repeated of, of words are a way to show us this is a section together, okay? But what's also going on here, it's really important, is, is that God is showing us something. Moses is showing us something, right? God inspired him to show us something. And that is that Moses knows that he's called by God, but he really doesn't have any confidence in himself to make it happen. Now, we know that when Moses used his speaking abilities or lack thereof before, it was basically an excuse because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. But here I feel like it's developing to a place where it's gone from kind of just an excuse to really part of a fact. Lord, when he says I'm of, of uncircumcised of lips, it's kind of like, Lord, I'm not worthy to speak for you. And God's not disagreeing with him. Because the truth is, it's good for us to know that we're not worthy to do the work of God. It's good for us to not have confidence in ourselves. It's interesting because if, we re, if you drop down to verse 7, what do we read? That, that now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. When did Moses first start realizing that God might use him to set Israel free? 40 years previous, remember? And he goes out there thinking, I got this, and God had to humble him. And 40 years in the desert looking after his father-in-law's sheep has brought him to a place where he realizes, man, I'm nobody. Yes, I have the best education that the world had to offer at the time, and I have all this, this grand skill set possibly, but that means nothing to do what God actually himself has to do. See, here's what the scripture says. I'm going to read uh, a couple proverbs from the, the New King James Version because I love the way that the New King James brings out these proverbs. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 14 says, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but the fool rages and is, notice, self-confident. The fool is self-confident. In the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. See, it's not wrong for us to be confident. What's wrong is when we have confidence in ourselves. If our confidence is in the Lord, that's a good thing. So I know it's very British to be self-debasing, to, to talk about how, oh, no, I could never, oh, no, I'm, I'm nothing. And there's something endearing about that, something good about that but can also be a hindrance. Because here's the reality. Though we are not to have confidence in ourselves, we are to have confidence in God, aren't we? So Moses is in a good place. He's learning that he can't be confident. Listen to this. The Bible says in Philippians 3.3, 3, this is the, this is the in, these are the indications of someone who are God's covenant people. We are the circumcision, that is God's true covenant people, who worship by the Spirit of God. Don't just think sing worship, but a lifestyle of worship by the power of God's spirit. We glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we know that Jesus is the one who's done it all. And we put no confidence in the flesh. That's what it means to be a circumcised of heart. No confidence in the flesh. Do you know, the only, you know what frees us from self-confidence? And I got to say this as somebody who was in some ways, supremely self-confident. I mean, I was, I've, I've always had my own insecurities. I still do. We all do. But there were some things, like I was, I was completely confident in my ability to work hard and to accomplish tasks. Totally confident of this. I got this, this amazing work ethic that's going to bring everything to pass. And guess what I've learned in 30 years of ministry? It's never enough. You can never work enough 
to bring God's work to pass. Only God's spirit can do it. And to have any confidence in my ability is foolishness. Moses knew God called him, but he had no confidence in himself. And, and God wants to be clear to him that Moses is in part of his, a big part of his plan, but God's not dependent upon him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be a prophet. It doesn't mean that Moses is God, but that Moses speaks with the authority of God, or has the authority to receive God's word. And Aaron speaks it. He says, verse 2, You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I know that's a big phrase. We're gonna, we are going to come back to this uh, in the next couple of weeks. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of, uh, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak. And I want you to know, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I want you to do miracles, and I want you to know, they're not even going to work. Because I have my plan that I'm going to bring to pass, and I am going to use you, but my plan is not dependent upon you getting it right. Hey, listen, shouldn't that free you in your service to God? Some of you, a few of you, serve because you're afraid. If I don't serve, I feel guilty. If I don't serve, I'm wrong. If I don't serve, I'm bad. If I don't serve, good things won't happen. That is bondage. And God doesn't want us to be there. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I've been wrestling through the, the, the idea of, of me moving on for six years. Part of the reason I'm wrestling that is because I'm thinking, if I leave, it'll all fall apart. That's bondage, and it's not true. It's a lie. It's pride. It's a lie. It's not true. Does God want to use me? Yes. Has God used me? Yes. Will God use me somewhere else? I sure hope so. <laughs> but he doesn't need me. He doesn't need you either. He wants to use you, but he doesn't need you. Shouldn't that free us up to serve? To, to, to take risks in our service? So God wants Moses to see this. Look at verse 5. God says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. In other words, they went and they spoke these things. See, here's what's interesting. And this is, the, this is probably a key phrase here in verse 5. That, that, so the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord. God's going to judge Egypt, but he also wants Egypt to know who he is. And this isn't like one of those things like, I drop the mic moment where God's going, that's right, I'm God, we can do now. It's, that's not like that. It's not like, it's God saying, okay, if you're so stubborn and you refuse to let go of your gods, I will do whatever it takes for you to see that I am the only true God because I want you to know me. And guess what we're going to see in, in Exodus? We're going to see some mixed multitude. That is, other people besides Hebrews. That means including Egyptians and slaves from other cultures who go out of Egypt with Israel. Why is this important? 
It's important because this is, this is the confidence that we have in the present. It needs to be a confidence that we believe that where we are right now, what we're about to do right now, what Moses was about to do right now, God was wanting people to know him. We live in a time in history that feels like pure judgment. I mean, things are pretty bad. And I think we, we it's not that things haven't been bad before, but we also live in a time where we get to know all the bad stuff that's happening. And it's heavy. And it's hard. And God does judge. The scripture is clear. God judges. But often God judges because he wants the people, even that he's judging, the peoples around there to know him. God wants people to know him. You can be confident of that. You can be confident of that. And I love this too because part of how God's going to do this, he's going to deliver the people that he loves. Because who God loves, he delivers. Israel doesn't deserve it, but God loves them, he delivers them. Egyptians, who certainly don't deserve it, but God loves them, so if they're willing, he'll deliver them. The mixed multitude, don't even ever, never even heard of Yahweh before, but if they're willing to, to believe in this God who will show himself, he'll deliver them. God, whom he loves, he delivers. But notice, whom he delivers, those people love him back. Where do I get this? What does it say that Moses and Aaron did? God's promising deliverance. God's saying, I'm going to do this. And verse 6 says, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. You see, here's how you know you love God back. You want to do what he says. You want to do what he says. You know what gives us the confidence to obey? It's the assurance that we're loved. It's the assurance that we belong to God, though we don't deserve it. It's the assurance that, that, that he's the one who's working. He's the one that's going to bring his plan to pass. It's not dependent upon him. It's, dependent upon, I mean, it's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon him. That's what brings, a, a, when we know that we're loved like this, this is what causes us to respond in love. And we know that we're responding in love because we say, God, I want to do what you say. I'm not making this up. This is just fast forwards all the way to the ministry of Jesus. What does Jesus say in John chapter 15? Listen. Jesus says to his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Did Jesus obey so he could become the son of God? No, he obeyed because he was the son of God. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus says, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is saying, listen, you're not earning my death for you by obedience. You're showing that you trust that my deliverance on your behalf was enough because you obey me. Guys, listen, you know what else? This is is how God shows himself to the people around us. He delivers us. And as he delivers us, we obey him. And as we obey him, people see that this God is worthy to know. Amen? Lastly, in this we see a pattern for the future. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourself by a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your, your staff and cast it before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. And remember, we talked about this a little bit before, that uh, the serpent, and this, this word for serpent is, 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 is a word that can be translated dragon. It can also be 
uh, represent a, a cobra, a king cobra, the biggest and, and uh, most fearsome of all snakes. And this was the, 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 excuse me, the symbol that was on Pharaoh's uh, crown, was this huge snake, this cobra. It's this idea that, that uh, when, when he takes this simple shepherd's staff and throws it on the ground to show, I have control over you, Pharaoh. I have control over you. This is what God's saying through Aaron and Moses. So what's Moses doing, or what's Pharaoh doing? Pharaoh's asking for miracles, but we're going to see he's, going to, he's not going to believe them. He's going to ask for miracles, but he's not going to believe them. We're going to see this pattern over and over again in the ten plagues. This is not one of the ten plagues, by the way. This is just a precursor. This is just for Moses and Aaron to see, here's how it's going to go down. Miracles will be requested, but they won't be believed. Does that not sound like a lot of people we know? If God's real, why doesn't he show himself? I prayed and God didn't answer. Where's my miracle? And then you say, well, I don't know. Let's pray. And you pray and God answers your prayer for that person, that person's grandma or whatever the thing is that you're stressing about. God answers the prayer and you go, well, I think God did that. Oh, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> Happens all the time, doesn't it? Because we're all like Pharaoh more than we want to admit. Look at verse 11. Then before Pharaoh and his servants uh, became a serpent, verse 11, sorry, then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they did the magicians, uh, and then the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and it became, they became serpents. Stop there for a second. How did they do this? We don't know for sure, but I think we, it, it could be sleight of hand, or it could be demonic, or it's probably both. Demonic miracles happen. We're going to talk about that in the next couple weeks. But what happens? Verse 12, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. See, miracles will be counterfeited, but ultimately those counterfeit miracles fail. And Moses and Aaron need to see this. They're going to, they're going to be able to repeat some of this stuff, but guess what? <laughs> this miracle is going to swallow up their miracle. My work is going to swallow up their work. The real thing is going to swallow up the counterfeit. You can know that. As someone who is convictionally charismatic, and what that means is I believe the scripture teaches that God still does miracles today, God still heals today, that people still speak in foreign languages they could not know naturally today, that people prophesy, they, they say things that are words from God to confirm direction for other people, that people have words of knowledge, they actually say things about people that couldn't be known naturally. I believe all that stuff happens today. And this is why it grieves me that so often there's so many counterfeit miracles done by false teachers. And this encourages me so much. Because the real will always swallow up the counterfeit. So let's not let the counterfeit keep us from pursuing the real. Amen? Verse 13, we'll finish with this. Then Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. Just as the Lord had said. Pharaoh is going to resist what God is doing, but God is going to succeed. You can't stop God. I mean, it's kind of like a, even such a dumb thing to say, right? You can't stop God. Well, of course you can't stop God. But we, we act as if God's some optional idea that some people have to hold on to to get through life. God is God. 
He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He's the one who showed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one that is changing me, and if you know him, he's changing you. God is real, and he will not fail. So when it feels like things aren't happening the way you want them to happen, when it feels like your prayers have yet to be answered, please remember this. Please remember this lesson, this side note, that God's timing for your redemption is perfect. It's perfect. God knows exactly the best way to redeem us and the best time to do it. That's what we're supposed to see. Now, all the stuff that we're seeing with Moses and Aaron and Egypt, all of these things foreshadow what God does in redeeming the whole planet through Jesus. They foreshadow that. This is going to be important because as we go through the plagues, the temptation is to, to, to so apply them to uh, the here and now that we miss how they actually move forward to Jesus and then we need to apply who Jesus is to the here and now. You follow me? Okay, so let's make sure we do this now because this is what Paul wrote to the Galatians about God's timing. Listen to this. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom word for redeem, for us who were slaves to the law, that he could adopt us as his very own children. God sent Jesus at just the right time of history so that the whole world could know who he is. God's working in your life. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how many prayers he's answered, how many prayers he's yet to answer, but I know his timing's perfect. And it's not just because he wants to redeem you. It's because he wants to use you to bring that message of redemption to other people. Do you believe that? Do you believe God's timing's perfect in both your suffering and your deliverance? Do you believe that? He wants you to trust him for that. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray uh, first and foremost for anyone who's here who uh, doesn't yet know you in truth. Maybe they know you by name or reputation or even information, but they don't know you in truth. There's not a real relationship. Lord, would today be the day that they choose you over their sin? Would you so work in their heart that they're able to do that? Father, we pray that you would let no one leave today without knowing you. Please, Father, would you graciously do that? Would you give them the ability to ask or at least admit that they don't know if they know you in truth? Please, Lord. And Father, I pray for us who do know you, Lord, as we think about how our church feels plagued right now. So much sickness, so much struggle, so much change. Our world feels plagued right now, Lord, as we feel this. God, may we see your timing's perfect, your way's perfect. You know what you're doing. Help us to trust you for this, Lord. Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, that you love us. And I pray, Lord, as we move on in our days and we move on in our weeks, Lord, that we'd remember that you're with us. And that no matter what relationships we have that are struggling, no matter how things are at work or at school or in our homes, 
Lord, that your timing is perfect and your redemption is perfect, and we look to you to do it. Lord, remind us where you've taken us from so we see our credentials from the past. Remind us what you're doing so we have confidence for the present. And help us to see the patterns that you do in our lives so that we are looking forward for the future. Please, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.